Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who have great personalities Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 361 for February 27th, 2017. On today's show, we're talking about the joy of track saws, strength of loose tenons, and getting into welding. And before we get to that stuff, we'd like to thank a few folks who helped us out on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash woodtalk if you want to join in the fun. Send a few bucks our way and you'll get some cool stuff in return. Uh, we'd like to thank Peter Boyez, Jeff Preacher. Uh, I don't think I pronounced that correctly. Sorry about that, Jeff. Uh, Jerry Miller, Rich Peterson, Jeff Smith, Tim Ward, Kyle Graber, Charles Fackler, Michael Bulliant, Bulliant, uh, young, young Tom, and Ken Fitzpatrick. Oh, also Brendan Hughes. So thank you folks for helping us out. If you uh, do sign up for Patreon, we will announce your name at the beginning of the show. Just like that, we'll make you sort of internet famous. And uh, that's awesome. (laughs) That's always fun, right? Oh, yeah. We have that much reach. We really do. All 20 (laughs) listeners. Uh, So I think we should get into what's on the bench. And for me, I'm working on the trestle table. And that's actually why we're a little bit late recording. I think we could have recorded earlier if I would have noticed the text that said that uh, (laughs) Shannon was available. (laughs) And I was in the middle of uh, gluing up the trestle legs. Um, yeah, I'm the, glad that I rushed out of there and broke several speed limits to get home in yes, time to record. Of course you did. Only to sit here that's on right. my butt. I'm sure that's exactly what you did. I know how For you drive. 30 minutes. You drive like an old lady on Sunday. Um, so, anywho, I glued up these trestle table legs and uh, sitting right behind me now. And uh, after this point, because it was one of those things, there's a lot of stuff that has to, has, has to be made first and other things have to be fit to those things. So, this is kind of just stage one. The, the trickier stuff is to come with the rail and the uh, wedged tendon that goes through the, the side legs. So, but it's moving along. I'm actually really pleased with the, with the pace. And this is my first real, I'm calling it real in, in air quotes, woodworking project <laughs> in this shop. So I'm super excited to see it come together. Got to be careful with that word. Yeah. It starts I know. to infringe on constitutional rights. That's you right. You got to be careful. Yes. <laughs> that's the way it is. Um, oh, but that's man. really it. Nothing too exciting. So I won't uh, take up too much time. Um, Matt, what about you? What did I write down? Oh. Milling, <laughs> son's bed. Oh yes, gluing together boards to make logs. Oh yes, which one? Else, which would you guys like to start with? Um, I'll go with Sun's bed for a hundred. Okay, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I am um, starting on a little bit of a woodworking project, which is fantastic news for me. Um, you know, because being in the shop is a totally different experience than being outside working on something. Mm-hmm. Um, so with this with this project, I'm kind of. And this is actually going to kind of play into the weekend show. Heads up to everybody. Cool. I'm kind of going out on a limb a little bit with the design because I'm kind of, I'm kind of building as the wood speaks to me. I'm trying that whole thing out. Hmm. Um, so I'm incorporating, I'm doing it in walnut maple, of course, for Shannon. He loves that. For no one else other than Shannon. That's right. That's why I did <laughs> walnut and cherry on my trestle table, just because I know how much Shannon likes it. Uh, I love walnut. And I'm cherry. sorry. I'm sorry, Shannon. You're never going to hear that. That's good design, Mark. Walnut and maple. Uh. <laughs> it's just too. Oh, that's too white. Walnut and cherry are complementary, <laughs> not contrast. Oh, okay. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, yeah. So I'm also doing some stuff like uh, live edges. I'm doing some doing a live edge on the top of the headboard and the footboard, and I'm doing a live edge on the bottom of the rails. Um, just to see how that kind of looks. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not totally sold on the live edge on the rails yet. But I've chosen a piece of like a, a narrower piece of lumber that was a crotch. So it has a crotch on one end. So I have a straight edge on the top edge. That'll be like where the mattress is or whatever. And then the bottom edge will be a live edge. Mm-hmm. And where that crotch is, it kind of like 
you know, all the crotches are, they kind of splay out like at an angle. I know all about so, crotches, Matt. I know you, I just, <laughs> it had I, to love, be I love the crotch. No, I all put about good them. money on Mark actually saying that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm pretty predictable <laughs> when it comes to that. Sorry, go on. So I'm leaving the, I'm leaving the live edge on the crotch or that, that kind of angle on the crotch. So as the, the rail comes into the post on one of the ends, it's got basically, it's like a brace kind of thing, a built-in brace to the, to the, uh, to the rail. So I thought that might be kind mm. of a cool look to leave that in there. Nice. A crux so, frame. Yeah. yeah. So nice. I don't know. I'm kind of experimenting with that. Um, I'm not really sure like a lot of the exact details. Like I know I want the, the I'm making the headboard and footboard out of two boards that I'll then splay out at an angle. But I'm not sure what the angle is going to be. If I'm going to splay that the first board out from the angle of the post at all. So I'm kind of playing around with a lot of the things and just seeing what like what feels good. And this is actually the way I prefer to build. I've been like building like the plans or like having things like figured out ahead of time because most of the time with stuff that we do, it's really beneficial to like convey to people that are actually like watching this stuff, like how it's going to look or what you have in your mind if you actually draw out a plan first. Mm-hmm. I don't have that, like even in my head. So I, I, I can't draw it out. Or I can't do anything like that. So I'm kind of changing the way I'm doing my videos for this one specifically. And I'm kind of like taking uh, the viewers along the whole process as I kind of figure it out as I go. Instead of just like building this thing, figuring it out as I go and then telling you what I figured out at the end. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of fun. That's cool. Know. Different approach. Choose your own adventure with Macromone. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Where are we going to go? If you want to pretend in here, turn to page 35. <laughs> I, I wonder, like, the live edge thing has become so in vogue and popular. At what point will it run its course? And you've got too much live edge to the point where it's like rustic, like gypsy furniture or something. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that, that what that stuff was called with like the grapevines and everything and all well, the interwoven? I mean, I guess rustic or country furniture where you've mm-hmm. got actual log furniture. I think that's the term for it. But I just remember watching a, a Roy, uh, a Woodwright shop where he talked about gypsy furniture. <laughs> it was all like grapevines interwoven together and stuff. It's like, when do we cross the line oh. into, you know, you just took a log and cross cut it and you like, know, stuck it together. That's funny because it reminds me of pieces of furniture that I recall from my childhood. My uncle had this and my mom had it. It was a big wall hung clock. And I believe it had like an, um, uh, Native American woman painted on it or something like that. But it was like just coated with plastic, like whatever finish they put on it was like an inch thick. Um, and they both had them on the wall. And then my grandparents had a coffee table that was very old sort of live edge style. But again, the key to both of these things was they were all just covered in almost like what it would look like if you put an epoxy, pour it on epoxy finish on it. And I just remember looking at them going, Oh, these are just awful. Like who would want this in their home? And now these things are like, you know, sort of coming back, you know, maybe a little bit more of a natural finish with different varieties and cooler styles, but, um, you know, everything goes full circle, right? Very true. Hmm. Cool. Very true. Yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> I started building a Ram Tang and all I can think of is, uh, the death metal band Ramstein as I build it. So I gave in and just put that on the radio, which really doesn't work with hand tools. There's something just, <laughs> It's a counter to <laughs> the genre. The genre doesn't work. You <laughs> yeah. know, I got you. Um, I can see that. I got into it as I was, as I was chopping the mortise that made a little bit more sense, but trying to keep the rhythm of Ramstein to chopping the mortise is just dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just far too much chopping and too much, too, too fast. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I was like, you know, do I really need that? And then I had a conversation with Zachary Dillinger. Um, if you don't know the Ramtang is a, um, I think it's a Dutch, the Dutch, Something like, I don't know, some weird 
It's a dot <laughs> joiners tool. It's from a movie. I don't remember what movie that is. I don't know. You had an accent, something weird. But uh, um, anyway, it stands for it, it translates to window pliers. I think from Dutch is to or translate to window pliers. And I happen to have some moldings that I need to joint, so I figured, you know what? Zachary says this is like the tool for doing it. So I figured, what the heck? So it's just another experiment, and I'm playing around with it, and it's a uh, kind of a fun little project. Ram tang. Every week, it's like a new vocabulary word with you. What was last yeah. week's the Egyptian instrument? Ah, uh, the sistrum. Sistrum. Yeah. Okay, this week it's ram tang. And it might be ram tang. I don't know. Ram tang. <laughs> ram tang. Yeah, that sounds good. Ram tang tugger. No, that's <laughs> that's Broadway. <laughs> oh, that's, that was, that's over our heads is what that is. Um, <laughs> I just want the listeners to know that occasionally Ramstein ends up on the radio in my shop. And yeah, yeah it just doesn't work. Cool. All right. Well, let's get into what's new. And before we get to this list here, do you have anything, Shannon, that you want to update us with in the world of the exciting, ever-changing world of lumber? Um, I mean, I hate to be like, it seems like all the news in the lumber world is this is going to be expensive now, people. Hey, if that's what it is, and that's what it is. That's fine. You know, we are seeing a spike in pretty much all domestics, but the biggest one is walnut. Um, It's become Mm -hmm. super, super popular. And guess what? There's a lot less of it than there was before because of the uh, thousand canker disease, which is really wreaking havoc in New England and across Pennsylvania and upstate New York. And um, unfortunately, it's one of those. I, I, I will admit I haven't researched the 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 blight as much as like, you know, powder post and like emerald ash borer and everything. So I don't know, like if it hits the tree, is it done for? Because nine times out of 10, what happens is these um forestry services in an effort to stop the blight they go in and just start clear cutting things out and then just burning them mm. and i never know like there's always that well once you cut it down is the lumber still good um i have a feeling this is one of the ones where you kind of have to like turn it to ash in order to stop it mm-hmm. whereas the emerald ash borer as far as i as i know once you rip the bark off you actually have some workable wood underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, and powder post can be similar if, if treated, if kiln dried properly. But I think thousand canker is particularly malignant. And it's uh, it's just causing some real shortages in like the upstream um, supply chain of walnut. And at the same time, walnut has become super, super popular for like high-end construction. So we are... Um, we're starting to get a little concerned <laughs> that yeah. an already expensive species is going to get a heck of a lot more expensive uh, in the uh, coming months and year. Time to stockpile, baby. There you go. I don't know where I'm going to put it, but I'm going to stockpile. <laughs> oh, you can turn to me. Yeah. There you go. That's you a good borrow idea. a couple walnut from Matt. That's right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. So we got a few more links to share with you here. First one uh, was submitted by Alex. He says, you might like this as I suspect there's some D&D in your DNA. The second half of their promotional <laughs> Ooh, video. That was, that was pretty good. I like that. Um, <laughs> it's all in a reading too, by the way. Uh, let's see. Their promotional video shows their production line and the fact that it's all uh, small batch handmade. So this is actually a Kickstarter page and scroll down a little bit. You'll see the video and it does indeed show their workshop and how everything is really just all the attention you would pay to it if you were building something like this for yourself. So it's a really clever uh, system for D&D players. Um, it really seems to be focused on uh, the dungeon master who's going to um, you know, be showing things to the people and, and want to flip maps around and draw on them. Very interactive. It almost seems like something that would pair very well with the gaming table that I made uh, a year or two ago. So um, definitely yeah. check it out. I don't think... I it's think cool how modular it is too. It's totally, also- right? 
it's kind really of from a well marketing th- perspective. It's kind of a cool idea. You super know? well thought out. Like the dice um, tower where you could actually drop the dice in and you have a little, there's a little lever right. you flip and it's for either public roles or internal private roles. And you can kind of, sh- whether people can see the dice or not, it's actually really cool the way they did that. Um, and I don't you think know what's um, interesting though, is later on in the video when they're showing the shop yeah. and they talk about how, you know, all the finishes are hand rubbed and they don't use dyes and stains. Mm-hmm. And the guy is actually finishing that dice tower. Yeah. And that just looks like a royal pain in the you know what. <laughs> yeah. That little moving part in there. And I'm trying to figure out like, wouldn't it, did they pre-finish that? Is he wiping wax on? And then I started to think about, well, how would you actually pre-finish that? Because it's like a captive part. Yeah. Um, so it just looks like a royal pain in the butt sure. to finish that thing. Yep. A little moving part in there. And so, I think just kudos. looking at the numbers, they've like way, way overfunded for this. So I don't think there's going to yeah, be any problem awesome. reaching their goals. So good deal. Uh, let's see. This is one that I've actually seen bounce, uh, show up a couple of places around the internet. Uh, John shared this with us. Um, it's, uh, an uh, article about the, is it, this is Berkowood. It's brick of wood. Um, mm-hmm. basically it's wood. wooden blocks, like think Lego blocks made out of wood. And it's a lot of, uh, kind of sliding dovetail construction where these bricks just kind of slide into these vertical stanchions and you're essentially building, what looks like a brick house, well, it's, it's, it's obviously wood, but, you know, they're individual brick, bricks. Brick pattern. And they're hollow. Yeah, that's the, that's the idea we're going for. Brick <laughs> pattern. Um, and they're hollow on the inside, so you can, you know, blow in or dump in or however you do the insulation inside in between it all. It's just very cool. Um, it looks like a lot of fun, too. Like, I want some of this. It's basically Legos for big boys. Let me go and it's it's like Lincoln Logs and Legos crossed on a life size scale. So yeah. it's pretty neat to see this. Yeah, so running sure. around through dead blow, tapping them all together. Yep, it's like the only tool you need to put that thing together is a hammer. That's great. Yeah, yeah I don't think there's any kind of adhesive in there at all. That's crazy. It's pounded together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I want to share a video over on YouTube. It's called a sawmill story. Uh, it's a video of a guy who was restoring a um, circle mill. And you have to kind of figure out all the details about it. And um, this is like probably, I think it was like the late 80s he did that. So he's doing like a little look back video at it. It was really well done, really interesting. Talks a lot about the dynamics of a circular saw mill and like all like the factors that go into getting it to cut well. Um, I guess I didn't really think about it, but if you have a blade, like I think this one was a 52 inch blade. So getting like a blade that wide or that, that with that big of a diameter to spin true. And not like, you know, I don't know, deviate through your cuts as it's kind of spinning and how fast that's able to spin and all that stuff. It's kind of interesting to watch. So definitely recommend checking that out if you need a little entertainment. How, and how good stuff. did you feel though? Because it was very, I mean, there's some really good info in there and very compelling case for this sawmill. Mm-hmm. But how good did it make you feel when it got to the end and it said, of course, today we use bandsaw mills <laughs> and those are much better, like superior cut. <laughs> I was like, you know, Matt's like starting to sweat bullets over here as this guy makes such a compelling. <laughs> case for a circular mill and then he well, finally says yeah but you know now they're obsolete in favor of bandsaw well, i mean there's, there's still swing blade mills and that's one of the things that like um i'm gonna do a video about like why i decided to build that mill over like doing like a a lucas mill with a swing blade with a dedicated slabber attachment but the problem with the circular saw mills is for me i want wide cuts and you're really limited to the cut with with a circular mill you imagine that circular saw blade dang stay out of its way baby yeah, no kidding. Don't want to touch that. 
All right. The next one here is something that I normally wouldn't do because it's almost like an advertisement, but I thought it was really funny. Um, (laughs) Right. So Lucas Peters, who's actually a friend, um, met him a a number of times, really nice guy, uh, over at Wood Magazine says, um, hey, I thought your audience would be especially interested in our latest turning plan. And we'll put the link in there. It is a spin a yarn bowl. And it's to uh, to hold yarn. Uh, it says, because of their enthusiasm for the topic, I made a coupon code for this plan for a limited time. Enter knitting rules for a 50% discount on this plan. And he said it's also in the May 2017 issue, which is on newsstands now. Lucas Peters. Well, thank you, Lucas. We appreciate the coupon code, and I hope we can send some business your way. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, just gonna, I can just imagine people in our audience just like, you know, typing in that coupon code and like, you know, freaking fracking, <laughs> right. like grumbling to themselves, knitting, knitting uh, sucks. The war <laughs> is still alive and well, my friends, fight, fight the good fight. Okay, let's get into our kickback. Uh, first of all, a couple people corrected me and uh, informed me that when I saw artisanal water and like, you know, I was walking by very quickly. I wasn't paying that much attention. It was just stupid. But anyway, uh, the difference between artisanal and artisanal and so, uh, yes, I stand corrected. I understand uh, the difference now and, uh, I still don't care, but I still think it's funny. Well, depending on how, depending on how it bubbles up or how that you collect the water from the artisanal well, yeah. it could be artisanal artisanal water. Well, it depends on if the guy's got a beard or not. If he's got a beard, then it's right. art- artisanal artisanal. He's collecting it in a, in a bucket made from, you know, fig leaves and, and hemp. Right. And if it was is artisanal artisanal water. Yeah, if it was if it was uh, filmed with a DSLR camera and posted on Vimeo, then it was definitely with lots of depth of field. Yes, right? definitely yeah. artisanal. Slow slow motion water drops and everything. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what the, the I totally want to see that video now. <laughs> I'm sure somebody make that. Sure it's there. Okay. Um I've got a voice memo here sent in from uh, Nick. Where is it? There it is. Hey Mark, you often mention that you can use the voice recording feature on your smartphone to record a kickback. I just wanted to point out that if you have an iDevice, you can also use GarageBand. Which has the added benefit of using all sorts of crazy filters to make an otherwise banal question into something that would be almost guaranteed to be played played. That's all. Thank you. Man, that was awesome. I didn't know you could do all that, that stuff. Awful. So yeah, if you do that stuff, you'll, he's right. You'll, you'll definitely get put on the air for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's see. I'll, I'll do this or Matt, why don't you read this one from uh, Andrew? Oh oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's really long. Only like really long. (laughs) I'm talking too much. It's it's your turn. I get oriented here. I got to put up higher in my screen here so I can get comfortable, (laughs) you know, lean back in my chair. I'm going to drink water. So go ahead. Just looked at this yarn bowl. My mother-in-law is going to want one of these. Oh boy. Well, use the discount code, man. 50% off. This is a good deal. All right, here we go. This one's from Andrew. It says, regarding the weekend show, I agree with Mark. There's no Mark uh, spelling here. That's right. It must be someone else. It's that other Mark. Did you guys do a show without me? We always do. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Hate to break it to you. (laughs) Actually, half of the shows that you're on, we're doing a show without you, so it's fine. Oh, Oh. (laughs) Okay. Ball busting over. (laughs) Uh, I'm glad we could never be too serious. (laughs) I would not like doing the show if it was any more serious than it already is. Uh, Nope. Uh, I agree with Mark that 
Uh, things like IKEA furniture can almost be a gateway drug. I finally started really woodworking after my wife got, and I got our house. And the first really big project I did was a rogue engineer's trestle desk with an added keyboard pullout, which was replacing a $35 IKEA desk has somehow may, somehow lasted me over six years. Uh, when I find myself noticing that I've I've got a few projects under my belt is when I when wow. When I find myself noticing now, what what I find myself noticing now <laughs> is that I've got a few project projects under my belt while cheaply made. There's certainly there is a certain simple elegance to the design of IKEA furniture that could easily be replicated with high quality materials. The old desk was in all in all five pieces of MDF with the drawer slide, something that could be easily made with higher quality wood. Uh, when I didn't when I didn't know any better, I got a certain sense of accomplishment out of putting together IKEA stuff. Uh, now, as I'm older and wiser, I'll get even more set, even more sense of accomplishment out of building their long, longer-lasting replacements. Hmm. Cool. Nice. Yeah, we got a lot of feedback on that conversation uh, that we had. Well, what was it the weekend show? Kind of, yeah the the whole the whole craft the maker movement and quality and quality. And yeah. And, okay. You know, we got it. We got a a lot of kickback. Actually, I can't remember a post that we've had that many comments on our actual show notes page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we get comments on Facebook and comments on Patreon now. And, you know, like it, I, it's almost like the blogs have become tertiary or quadrary now when it comes to actual people commenting on it. And yeah. we have quite a few people with some really, really good kickback. So uh big thanks to, to Mike, Ben, Tom, Tony, Andrew, Jack, Michael, George, and probably four or five others that have shown up since I actually put that <laughs> into the show notes. But um, they, there are a few people, as I expected, who have taken me to task, calling me elitist. One accused me of infringing on his constitutional rights. That's right. By, uh, How dare by you? saying that the quality is an issue. But, you know, that I really encourage you to go to woodtalkshow.com, look up that episode and read some of those comments because there's people coming down on kind of both sides or people coming down in the middle. There's a really interesting analogy about baking a cake that came up. Um, so, uh, you know, if nothing else mission accomplished, right. You know, I wanted to spark some conversation around this thing. And I think there's, uh, some, uh, good, good discourse going on about that. I'm surprised that this or not. this actually caused a little more of a kerfuffle than me making fun of old woodworkers that poop themselves. <laughs> right. I expected to get more flack from that. People expect that from you, though. I guess. I say <laughs> stupid stuff all the time. I know. I'm sorry. No, but for the record, and as I said at the beginning of that episode, I don't really have a problem with anything that's going to increase the maker movement. I just, I don't know. <laughs> From my perspective in life, I, I just feel like if you're not challenging yourself, you're just not going to get any better. Yeah. Well, and That's I think it. you also, a lot of times with these things where it hits a nerve with people and they immediately either respond immediately or they kind of lock that one thing you said without the oh, context yeah. of the rest of the things that you said and you take it on the whole and it was pretty, you know, fair and, uh, you know, kind of gave a really good perspective mm-hmm. on things. But if you just take one little snippet out and get kind of pissed about that and then go write a comment, you might miss, I think, the bigger point you were trying to make. You have to remember, people, that by day I am a marketer. <laughs> I run a marketing department. <laughs> Sometimes they do this stuff on purpose. That's right. That's right. <laughs> It says on his little name tag on his door, elitist marketer guy. Elitist marketer. Oh, I'm totally going to get that. It's going oh, on the new business card. Yep. Ah, all right. That's great. Okay. So we've got a voicemail here. These are um, 
you know, regular voicemail questions. By the way, you can send us a voicemail on Skype. You can get us at Wood Talk Online or call our number 623-242-5180. And the first one here is from Robert as a question about finishing different woods. To the oracle of all things woodworking. Hello again. This is Bob from the Tulip City. I have heard many things about finishing and read a few books on the subject. Still don't really get it, but the night's young. What I haven't heard is what types of finish you would use based on the type of wood. Sure, the end use of the project is a concern, but what other finishes are best for different woods? I like putting boiled linseed oil on walnut. It seems to really make it glow. I've heard that that may work for tiger maple, and maybe dye would work as well to make it pop. I bought some con cola conco con ah, crap it's an exotic wood uh, or for shannon it's an erotic wood but i think you know what i'm talking about (laughs) do you have any finishes that might work for different wood types sidebar oh he's still going i have so many questions only been at this for about five years but i think that that's what makes this hobby so fascinating to me there's just no end to it. Just one rabbit hole after another. And I truly appreciate you guys' patience getting me through all of this. And, of course, your guidance getting me through it as well. Um, it may never end for me, and I hope it doesn't for you. I truly appreciate this. Thanks, guys. Well, it's going to end eventually. <laughs> I mean, that's just what? how life works. <laughs> what is this now? <laughs> Sorry. What happened? Sorry about the bad what? news. <laughs> What? The? I okay. don't have a pair for this today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I hate to break it to you, Matt, but uh, we need to talk. Um, all right, so finishing different woods is is one of those things. I actually got this question multiple times from multiple places in the last couple of weeks that people are looking for sort of a guide to what finishes are best on what woods. And uh, you know, in general, you can kind of use any finish on any wood. And the caveat being there may be some preparation that you need to do to make that finish go on that wood. But I think it's usually, I would say 99% of the decision-making comes down to personal preference in what you like to apply and what you want this thing to look like over time, as well as how durable you want it to be. So you could pretty much put any finish on any wood. You just may have to do a little bit of sealing or as just a certain type of preparation to get that finish on there. I don't think it would make sense to really have a guideline for use this finish on this wood because that's not really how it works. People just have personal preferences about which finishes look best on which woods. And there may be a few things to avoid, like putting a you know classic water-based poly on a dark colored wood. Generally doesn't look that good because it kind of gets a little, you know, a bluish cast to it and it just doesn't look great. Um, but other than that, I mean, can you guys think of, would you think that would make sense? at the same time, you might want that, right? There might you know, be a situation someone may where want you it. want that, that water white bluish cast and, you know, some sort of aesthetic reason. Maybe. But yeah. It sure. Doesn't, doesn't really work. Does it? Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Do you, do you see any cause or, or justification for even trying to provide some kind of a guideline for what finish going goes on? What would? No, I think you have to start with what is the feel that you want? What is the look you want? And then match the finish to that, yeah. you know, and it may be that that finish particular finish looks different on wall than it does on maple, mm-hmm. you know? So what, what are you using? What's the look? Do you want a warm look? Do you want more of a, you know, I hate to use the word, well, cold, you know, warmer look or cold look. Do you want the figure to pop, you know, and choose your tool for that effect. Right. Makes sense. Okay. I'm going to try and get a 
voicemail here. Hold on. Sorry, Matt. I talked over you there. You were about to say something. I can see it on your face. No, he wasn't. I was just nodding along because I agree with everything you say. He was, he was about to just drop something incredible. <laughs> this is I have about to drop some sweet knowledge on you, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> drop some knowledge bombs on us. Uh, all right. So there's another one here. This is a live voicemail right in Skype, and I hope I'm clicking the right one. Hey, guys. This is Hayden uh, down in Tampa, Florida. I uh, love the show. I just had a quick question for you. I recently had some new doors installed in my house, all out of uh, white, knotty pine. And I'm trying to match the finish in the rest of my house, some of my trim. It's, um, it's all pine also, but it looks like it's been finished. Um, it kind of looks like a cedar or a aged red mahogany. or It's got kind of reddish-brownish tones. Um, so I'm starting using a garnet shellac. And it's giving me a rich brown color, as Garnet Shellac does. And I'm looking to add some of those red tones in to it. And um, looking at the transitant dyes, haven't used them before. So I was wondering um, how those work with shellac. Is it okay to put them in shellac? Um, what type of luck have you guys had with trying to match other finishes in with that process? And um love to hear y'all's feedback about it so um look forward to hearing my answer i appreciate it and like i said love the show long time listener um take care all righty either of you guys use transtent much sure in epoxy bottles of it yeah in epoxy (laughs) do that too (laughs) it's true i just used it in um what in durovar on the bookcase Mm -hmm. that i built i wanted to warm it up a little bit um, even though Enduravar is already a little bit warm, but I mm-hmm. wanted more warmth. So I dropped uh, I don't know, a couple of drops of vintage maple transitant in there and and played around with it a little bit and got a nice warm kind of boiled linseed oil look nice. to uh, pine. Very cool. Well. Yeah, I don't see any reason why you can't add it to shellac. And uh, shellac's a great medium for a dye. You know, it's a fast drying finish. You could dilute it out with denatured alcohol as much as you want to leave the shellac as sort of a binder, make it mostly dye solution. You could play with the the formula quite a bit. But you're, you know, a lot of times if you're going to be um, really dramatically changing the color, you need quite a bit of that dye concentrate uh, to get where you need to go. But it's still uh, a viable way to do it. I don't see anything wrong with it at all. Um, Okay. Where are we? Oh, emails. Okay. We're on the email. Email. Yay, email. I love the email. 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 All right. First one here is from Brandon. He says, do you consider a track saw a must-have for your workflow? Muscling sheet goods across the table saw is getting really annoying, and I am trying to justify a track saw. It is hard to justify another $600 plus after spending thousands on my cabinet saw, but it seems like money well spent. I know there are alternatives with jigs and a circular saw, but in your opinions, is a track saw worth the money? Thanks, guys, Brandon. I would say hands down, for me, it is absolutely worth the money. It was one of the earliest big purchases that I've made when I was, you know, sort of a struggling cabinet making business. And I found that having the ability to make those cuts early on a piece of plywood, get a nice clean edge, you know, even if you take that sheet right from your your lumber dealer, take that to your table saw, there's no telling that that cut edge, the factory edge is actually going to be straight. So being able to establish a straight edge, even if that's all you did, and then go to the table saw, you're even better off than you were otherwise. So the fact that you could break things down, 
get a couple different length tracks and have everything broken down so you don't have to, to bust your back putting these things on the table saw um, is absolutely worth it. And if you look into using it for now jointing, you know, I actually have boards that are way too long and I know I'm not going to get the reference surface I need on my jointer beds. So I'll give it a quick trim with the track saw first, you know, straighten it out as much as I can. And then all I need is one very light pass, maybe two at the most, especially if it's like an eight foot long piece. So uh, those track saws are fantastic for that as well. So I think absolutely, I, I can't say it's a must have for everybody because there's other ways to get it done. But if you're considering it, it means you kind of probably already have an idea of how useful it could be. And you're just looking for confirmation for someone to say, yes, go ahead and spend that money. <laughs> and I'm going to be that person for you and tell you. I that, like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go ahead and spend that money. Um, what do you guys think? It, just in general, track saws as useful as I'm making them sound? They're useful, but like it really depends. Like it's a lot of money to invest, and it depends on the what you're trying to do, your workflow, and mm -hmm. um, how much hassling you want to do. So, yes, a like a homemade track with your circuit saw does exactly the same thing, and you got a nice straight cut. It's a lot more of a hassle because you got to get that track in the right spot. You got to clamp it down, blah blah. Maybe it's heavier. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, how much hassle do you do you want to deal with? And is it worth six hundred dollars? It's kind of what it comes down to for me, at least. It's a fantastic tool. I love having a track saw. I'll say that much, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I love having it. It's that value proposition we all have to make. I mean, if if he's doing this as a hobbyist, then maybe you know the the the, the sort of decision matrix is a little bit different depending on what you're doing and what your budget is and all that stuff. And it's a very personal one. But to yeah. me, the way he worded this sounds like he's like on the fence and just needs me to go boop and push <laughs> him over. And even going well, back to budget, like $600, you could spend that on something else that might help your workflow even better than a track saw might. I don't know. Yeah. Again, depends what you're doing. Right, uh, right. Sorry. Well, sorry, Shannon. If it helps, Mike, I have a track saw. <laughs> that, that says a lot. <laughs> is that what it it's, is? So it's one of the few power tools I have. But when it comes to breaking down plywood, mm -hmm. oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> and there's something to be said, you know, about the, the cleanliness of a track saw cut. Yeah. Granted, the right blade on a regular circular saw and a guide, you know, a shop build guide will probably produce a similar cut. But, yeah, there's just something about it. Just it locks onto that track and becomes kind of idiot proof. Maybe um, it's the plunging. That, it's that yeah. plunging motion that does it for us. You know, it's, it's totally different. I do like a good plunge. Cut. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Well, somehow we ended up out of order. And well, you, put your, you put your question after Mark, so I just left it there. Oh, so I thought maybe you wanted to, you know, switch things up. You know, Shake it up, baby. A little boring, you know. Yeah, your change. Uh, this one comes from Darth Rust over on Patreon. Thank you, Darth Rust, for being a patron. Um, I'm planning a sideboard, and I'm seriously considering loose tenons for the casework because some of the pieces will be awkward, i.e., slow to make integral tenons. What's the rules for strength? I'm assuming one third rule for thickness applies, but but is wider or longer better than thicker? At what point does the double tenon become appealing? Are the planning assumptions identical to integral tenons? Good luck. We're all counting on you. I like that <laughs> little airplane reference there. Um, so, I mean, with tenons in general, I, I don't think you can really look at loose tenons and say it's dramatically different than an integral tenon because really, if it's fit properly. It's just as strong. I mean, it might as well be an integral tenon. Once you glue that loose tenon in place, you just kind of added a shortcut there because you can, you know, 
shoot your ingrain and then bore the hole in and then glue it in and ta-da, integral tenon. Yeah, it may have rounded shoulders and all that stuff. But I think from a strength perspective, it all comes down to what's your glue surface. So when you're talking about is it wider or longer, better, you know, the more glue surface you can provide, the better. So if you can make a really long tenon, if your part will allow for, you know, two, three inches of penetration into the mating part, that's going to be stronger than one that only penetrates one inch. If you don't have, you know, three inches of length, then maybe make it a little bit wider. Obviously, the wider the tenon gets, the more kind of the wood movement stuff comes into play. So you, it's all a, a fine edge. You have to balance what what you do here. As far as coming into the twin tenon, um, I think a lot of times the twin tenon shows up because of something like the domino, where you've got pre-shaped dominoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's like, you know, you, you're not, unless you're making your own dominoes, you know, you're not making a domino that's four inches wide, five inches wide. I don't know the sizes of the new big ones. I think those are mostly about length rather than yeah, width. Yeah, you don't they? get very wide. Just the nature of the yeah. tool can't go very wide. So then you make a, a twin tenon because, you know, you're not going to make a bunch of homemade wider dominoes. Um, twin tenons, I think, also work really well on really small parts. Like, um, think of like the bottom rail on like a sideboard or a side table. You know, that skinny little three-quarter inch thick rail that goes underneath the drawer it, it is more prone to twisting. And if you put a tenon right in the middle of that, it maybe will twist a little bit more than if you created twin tenons. Um, but I don't see that the loose tenon is really any different. It's all about glue surface. Yeah, I'm doing loose tenons on this trestle table. And I started thinking about how deep could I go? How deep should I go? And, you know, when you're balancing that router on a fairly narrow edge of a workpiece, <laughs> and you start to go, yeah. okay, well, I could go an inch and a quarter, but wouldn't I be happier just going three quarters of an inch deep? And I look at that depth and I'm like, is that really strong enough? And this is just one of those things that reminds me that we totally overbuild with some of these (laughs) things that like this three quarter inch deep mortise is going to be just fine. Could I have made it deeper? Would that have been stronger? Even if it was, I don't know that it's going to matter because what would it take to break this joint? Probably more than I will ever subject it to, you know, so let's break it. Let's find out. Let's do it. Go step on it right now. (laughs) Coup. Are we good? Yeah, we're good. good. All right. Good. This is from Mike. He says, having watched Matt's videos of of his impressive, thank you, bandsaw mill, I am now very interested in welding. So, Matt, how did you get into welding? Are you self-taught? Why are you using a stick welder instead of a MIG setup? Is there any welding podcast you can recommend? Maybe Metal Talk. Uh, Is there Metal Talk? I should probably should have done some research on that one. for show. Check out MetalTalk.com. Go buy it, Matt. Look it up. (laughs) Uh, so I got into welding, I guess, out of necessity for my um, my lumber fetish, my log fetish. Uh, I needed to get uh, logs home. I wanted to get them on my trailer, so I built my log arch for my trailer. And that was my first time doing any welding. And, yeah, so that means I'm self-taught. It's, I guess just like my all the woodworking you see me do as well. Um, I went with a stick welder for a couple of reasons over MIG. Um, MIG is like it's a wire feed welder so you just have a gun and it has a piece of wire in it and it's continually feeds so you can keep welding forever uh stick welder you got a little electro thing that gets consumed as you're welding and it's to kind of switch them out every now and then um i went with the stick welder because of mostly of cost you can buy the the welder i have uh, used for like 100 bucks uh it works really well and everyone said it's harder to do so being the crazy person i am i wanted to actually have some kind of i don't know 
dexterous skill to my name other than just holding a gun and pulling a trigger. So, I mean, there is a certain finesse to stick welding, but I think people really oversold the difficulty of it. It's really not that hard. If you can pair with a chisel, you could probably stick weld just fine. It's not that difficult. The other thing I like about it as well, for thicker stock and structural stuff like I've been doing for like actually moving heavy stuff around, you can get much deeper penetration. And for a novice especially, you end up with a much stronger weld than you would if you were just a a novice trying to uh, MIG weld the stuff together. Hmm. Because it's very apparent when you're stick welding how much penetration you're getting because you can literally see the metal just dissolving in front of you. And the hardest thing about stick welding, which makes it hard to weld things that are thinner, is the amount of heat generated by that one little spot where that stick is. So if you have the welder set too hot and you stop stop moving, you're going to blast a hole right through whatever you're welding. So that could come in handy if you need to cut some steel or blow a hole in something. You just turn the welder up and start the arc and just hold it there and you'll go right that through sounds it. sounds like fun, a hole. actually. I think yes. I'd do that. Sounds like a good purpose. time. <laughs> Woohoo! It does work. But you know, you get a really good gauge of how much penetration you get, so you can really know, you can have some confidence in the strength of your weld, even if you're a beginner like mm-hmm. I was. Um, I don't know of any welding podcasts. I'm sure there are. There's a lot of good YouTube channels. The one that I liked the most when I was getting started was Welding Tips and Tricks. Um, Jody over there does some really great videos on, I guess, how to do it, a little more of the technical details, or like walking you through some of the steps. Um, another good one is Chucky 2009. Uh, I found he's definitely helpful. A lot of people have recommended his, but I didn't find it as helpful as uh, Jody's videos over at Welding Tips and Tricks. But nice. I just searched for yeah. Welding Podcast, and that was the first one that came up. Oh, Welding sweet. Tips and Tricks. Yeah. You know, I uh, did a live Instagram thing this weekend, and someone thanked me for not getting into welding like Cremona and uh, <laughs> April Wilkerson. <laughs> I was like, really? I don't know. I think welding's kind of cool, but uh, I, I don't personally have a you know, need for it right now, but I, I respect it. I think it's a cool thing to do, but I, I don't like metal. I hate metal. Well, cool. Is that it? We good? I think that's it. I think that's it, yeah. Okay. That's a show. That's a show. That's a Call show, it. baby. All right. Well, don't forget, show. we do an email extra in addition to the weekend show, which comes on the weekend. Uh, this one is going to be for our $4 patrons and higher, of course. And we're going to hop into our time machines and go back a few years. And, well, it's a few less for Matt than for uh, oh, yeah. Shannon and I to, uh, you know, when we went to college. And if we knew what we know now, would we have done things differently? So we're going to play with that a little bit. Should be interesting. So if you want to support us, you can. Uh, you can get that extra show if you do the Patreon at $4 or higher. It's at patreon.com slash woodtalk. You can go get a woodtalk t-shirt at twwstore.com or look us up in iTunes. This doesn't cost you anything. Just uh, look us up, go to ratings and reviews and give us a, a nice rating. Let us know what you think of the show. And uh, Shannon wants you to do the contact info and we'll get out of here i would love to mark okay i take great pleasure in content <laughs> i know i know <clears throat> if you have reasons that you want to contact us and you need our contact info there are several ways that you can do that you can leave a voicemail on skype that is our username is wood talk online you can call our voicemail at 623-242-5180 or you can write it out at the fancy contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact or go to woodtalkshow.com. Go to the bottom and enter a comment and hit submit and you're done. Mm-hmm. That's it. Okay. That's all. <laughs> and that's it. And then maybe you'll hear a thing on the show. All right. Maybe. Okay. If you put a, a voice filter over top of your voicemail, you yeah. will be heard. It will increase your chances for sure. 
Yes. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And we will catch you next time. See you. Bye. Goodbye to you.